This Wes Craven-directed film was released in 1996, grossing over $173 million worldwide, spawning a franchise with four sequels, making over $600 million and counting, not including the fifth installment in the franchise that hits theaters next week, all while reigniting the waning slasher subgenre. That's right, we're discussing 1996's Scream. This film has become iconic in the years since it was released, and its impact on pop culture cannot be denied. But have you ever found yourself asking, wait, what's it about? Well, today, hopefully we'll answer that question. Welcome to What's It About, the podcast where a pair of aspiring creatives watch and analyze a film to see if we can glean its thematic center and what it's really about. We're highlighting specific plot points, character arts, filmmaking techniques, and thematic symbolism to help support our respective interpretations. I'm your host, Ricardo Bladeas, and today I'm joined by actor, writer, director, comedian, clown, Mr. Seth Crow. Seth, thank you so much for being here with me today. Hey. Hey. Yes. Hey, dude, it's the premiere episode of What's It About, and I'm really excited. Um, I just want to give a... We're doing it. I know. We're doing it. Uh, (laughs) New year, new me. Um, But just to give a little background for people at home, for listeners, as to why I'm doing this podcast. Um, So I've been wanting to do this podcast for a while, uh, and it was inspired by my family who who love movies. And uh, because I'm an actor and a writer, they they love to get my opinions on movies that they watch. Uh, And since I'm a little bit more involved in screenwriting and screencraft on all sides, my feelings usually differ way more than theirs do. Do you find this problem too? Yeah. Uh, well, and, and I, I think when people, some people watch movies, they don't watch them uh, as deeply as we watch them or exactly. Uh, they're not as, um, they're not as impacted by film as, as much as we are. So yes, I, I think it's, this is a, this podcast is a great way to maybe uh, show uh, people, how deeply impactful movies can be. That's exactly my 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 thoughts too. Is because when my family sees a film before me, and I'll ask them uh, what it's about, they'll tend to give me plot details. It's about a guy that does this and does that. Uh, but then when I go back and I watch the movie later, I find that oh, they're focusing on the completely wrong part of the movie because they're misinterpreting kind of what it's re- truly about. It's almost spiritual for us. Mm-hmm. You know, right. For us, it is understanding the deeper meaning that this film is conveying is like, is very important. Exactly. It's very important that we, that we draw true meaning from a film. Exactly. Uh, And so that's why I was like, I need to make a podcast where for, for screenwriters like us and, and, and other creatives who analyze and try and, you know, interpret and understand film but also for people like my family who aren't like that, who maybe this can help them start to recognize where they can see these moments in films that can help them understand them a little bit better and maybe appreciate them in a different way. I, I, I think movies convey emotional connect, like human emotional connect connection mm-hmm. better than any media. So like you really experience the other through film. And mm-hmm. I don't think, people I, I think it's important that people start to take that perspective when they watch films you know yeah uh, and for us like that's how we've always watched movies mm-hmm. but so like and that's probably one think. of the reasons we we got into wanting to make movies and wanted to be yeah. in movies because we saw that and felt that right when we first started watching movies yeah. 
Yeah. And I think it's just a great way. If everybody, if everybody watched movies like we watch movies, I think the world would be a lot, uh, a lot more, have a lot more harmony. I, I would say. That's a beautiful sentiment. (laughs) I like that. Uh, Well, for our premiere episode, Seth, we are discussing, as I said before, 1996's Scream. Um, Because the fifth installment of the franchise, which also confusingly is titled Scream, is coming out next week uh, on the 14th. Um, kind of pulling the Halloween Halloween thing where the first film in the franchise was Halloween and then they rebooted it as like a sequel, but also called it Halloween. Yeah, so I don't know what's going on there, but uh, we're talking about Scream. I've not seen any of the other movies, so Scream is the only. Oh, so you've only seen the first one in the franchise. Only seen the first, the first one. You're lucky. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I've heard Scream fans really like all the movies. Oh, there are things. There are definitely things in each of them to appreciate. Um, I enjoyed the fourth one, even though most people think that's the worst one. I, for some reason, I didn't find it so egregious, but it's definitely the, was the least creative of all of them. Although I thought it was still a decently made slasher film. Uh, we'll see what this fifth one has going for it. Um, but, uh, Seth, let's, let's go back to 1996's Scream, the original, the first, um, had you seen it before this and what, what are your thoughts on the film just kind of initially? Uh, so... Um, I had seen it once before, you know. Oh, uh, just once. Yeah, just once. Um, I watched it about a year and a half ago, and I really enjoyed it. Um, but this time, I rewatched it, and I kind of like combed over it, and kind of like really picked it apart uh, more. So, like for some reason, as a kid, I never had a desire to watch this movie. I, okay. I don't know why. Um, I, I think there was something about the mask that I was just like it wasn't my style. Like, mm-hmm. I, just, like I was like, I don't really care. And it was a teen, like as a kid, it was like a, the, I, I wasn't a popular kid and it felt like one of these cool kid movies. Okay. <laughs> That's so interesting. Like, yeah. Like it felt like one of these movies that the cool kids would go see. And wow. And so I just, I had this like jaded opinion of it. That's so interesting. Um, Cause watching it now, or at least, and, and like kind of being a little bit of like a film nerd and like a write, you know, a screenwriter, it's definitely a little bit nerdy. Like it's like, it's super, yeah. like it's yeah. super like film nerd smart kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I, I don't, I don't think I would have appreciated it as a kid, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I would have been scared, some, mm-hmm. but like being able to look at it through an analytic lens is very important i think I, yeah I, I, this film is like there's a reason why it's uh a cult classic it's, and it's there's a reason it it's it is there's a lot going on there mm-hmm. than just a slasher film oh yeah and that's what's so great about it to give my thoughts on it as well i love i really love this movie i think it's not only super duper smart and like witty and intelligent and fun, it functions super well as just a slasher film. Like if you just went in and, and experienced it as just like a horror slasher film, it works phenomenally. But if you're going in and you're recognizing all the subtleties of what's going on, it's even better. As you know? a kid, I would never, I would have only seen the slasher. Mm-hmm. I would never exactly. have seen more. Exactly. And it, it truly is, I think a very phenomenal film. And as was said in the intro, 
slasher films like like Nightmare on Elm Street and like the, the Friday the 13th franchise and all those types of slasher films were on the way out. They hadn't been successful in quite some time. Those those franchises kind of reached their, you know, were running out of steam. Uh, and this film came out and like reignited that desire for this kind of slasher film. So like it like it was an explosive movie and it did have a huge impact on pop culture moving forward in a very strange way, even in a lot of its meta tones. And I, I, yeah, I know you love meta stuff. So I figured you would love that aspect of the film, how meta it is in a lot of areas. Um, uh, definitely, definitely like ahead of its time. Uh, yeah. And so many movies since then have tried to replicate this like meta wink, wink tone that don't do it as, as smartly and or near as effectively in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just a little background for, for our listeners about the film. Uh, so the film is directed by Wes Craven, the iconic horror film director, director of Nightmare on Elm Street, Hills Have Eyes, and The Last House on the Left, like you know horror icon. Yeah, he is. He's the janitor named yeah, Fred. Yeah. He's the janitor named yeah. Fred, and he's wearing yeah. the Freddy Krueger sweater. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. I love that yeah. stuff. That's yeah. more of that meta stuff that – some people won't get, but people that get it are like, oh, yeah, oh, I love that. Um, so he directed this. Uh, he wanted to get away from directing horror, uh, but apparently he had a conversation with some kid <laughs> who's like, you're getting soft. And so he's like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to do this movie. Uh, and this movie is written by um, a writer named Kevin Williamson. And the, the old Hollywood story goes that uh, Kevin Williamson wrote uh, was inspired to write an 18-page plot treatment about a young girl in her house alone who's being terrorized by a mass killer after he had saw news reports of the uh, Gainesville Ripper, uh, the serial killer uh, uh, in Florida in the 90s. Um, and he was struggling as a screenwriter and to make money, he decided to take this 18-page treatment and turn it into a script uh, that he could sell. And apparently he he, he says this, he wrote, Scream, scream in three days over one weekend wrote the first draft of the script wow that's the hollywood story you know who knows how much of that is is it's true or not but you know that's the that's the hollywood lore that kind of goes behind this movie uh kevin williamson also is the mind behind i know what you did last summer uh he also wrote um for like five seasons of dawson's creek <laughs> oh wow I and that. That, yeah that total sense Mm-hmm. like he totally captures that tone yeah that age and tone like so perfectly oh yeah absolutely absolutely um and uh and the faculty which is another like kind of like subversive uh body snatchers type uh satire which is really interesting so what a combination here um and before we get into our individual interpretations of what we think this film is about what it's about the big question um we just want to separate a little bit about what we're talking about. Um, when we're saying what's it about, we're not talking about the plot. We're talking about what its deeper philosophical theme is. Um, so for people that don't know, a plot is the kind of sequence of events that are strung together to tell a story where the theme is kind of the undercurrent idea that the plot sequences are supposed to be put together to help convey. Um, so we're trying to get underneath of what the actual events of the story are 
and see kind of what we're interpreting the messages underneath. Uh, and so that is what we're gonna be doing today. And a refresher for everybody who hasn't watched Scream uh, in a while, or maybe has never seen Scream, just spoiler alerts, because we're probably gonna be getting into quite a few of the bigger plot details here. Um, uh, and here's the IMDB summary of the film. And then we'll ask the big question. A year after the murder of her mother, a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game. So Seth, let me ask you, what's it about? Well, I've almost boiled it down to what I think it's about, but I'm still, you know, I'm still feeling around mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, but I think this time what really struck me to watch through struck me, this whole life is like a movie thing. Yeah. So, so like for me, what it really is about is our desire for life to be more than it is. Mm -hmm. And we use movies to make it feel more real. Mm -hmm. And so like movie, if when life is, life is only, it, life only feels real when life is like a movie. Mm -hmm. you know? Otherwise it's kind of this dull nothingness. Yeah. Like it's like, so like the killers, especially in this film are trying to make their life more real you know mm -hmm. they're trying to like if it's not like a movie then it's not real mm -hmm. so and i think we all experience that to a degree like we want our lives to be like the movies and and it doesn't feel real unless unless there's drama or there's fear or it doesn't feel real unless there's like heightened something heightened mm -hmm. you know and I think, I think that's what to me. This this film is about how we want our life. Life is not real unless it's a movie. Mm -hmm. That's what how I would sum it up. It's so interesting. It's so interesting because, like my uh, my interpretation is very close to yours, but it's like the opposite side of that coin. Okay. So like we both picked up on very much like life imitating art, right? Like yeah. life life being a movie. We want our lives to be a movie. I, like we both got that, but your interpretation of life isn't life unless it's like a movie. Mine's the opposite where I felt like the film was saying your life is not a movie and you need to stop trying to force it to be. Well, I think that's the, that's the more, that's like the moral message. Well, that, that's, I would say, I would say you're right, but that's the, that's the wrestling match. Mm -hmm. So right. it's not, I don't think you're right or I'm right. I think, I think that could be drawn mm -hmm. from what I'm saying. Right. But the human element of it is that it doesn't feel real. Unless, That's fair. Unless it's like a movie. So it's like, yes, your life is not a movie. Yes, you're right. The moral message is stop trying to make your life a movie. But our human nature is to have our lives be like a movie. Exactly. So we're like on pretty much like on the same page, maybe on separate paragraphs of the same page. Yeah. <laughs> but we're like in the same ballpark. I think, I just think what interests, I think the something that is a difference between me and you and like how we interpret things is mm -hmm. you're looking for the rule mm -hmm. and I'm looking for the experience. So like, um, usually, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> so like I'm more interested usually in, 
how it's how the human experience of it affects this affects the theme, mm-hmm. and you're looking for the hard theme, mm-hmm. uh, or like the 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 structured theme, mm-hmm. uh, the on paper theme. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I think that's that's a very, that's a fair assessment of our, our different ways of looking at at films for sure. Um, so. Let's go into a little bit of how, what parts of the film kind of led us to our interpretations and, and kind of, kind of tick, you know, threw up white flags for us to be like, oh, this is somewhere where I need to look uh, to help me discern kind of what's going on. Um, uh, Seth, where are some of the places that you look first when you're trying to figure out what a movie is, is trying to tell you? Well, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's all, it's all feeling, you know, mm-hmm. it's like all the feeling the movie gives you. And like, I mean, just the, the first, from the very first scene when they're bringing up a scary movie and, yeah. and probably the most, arguably one of the most like terrifying sequences in the film, like you can't not take the mirror out, you know, like mm-hmm. you can't not go, wait a second, this is a scary movie. This is a scary movie that I'm watching. I'm at home. Wait, I'm at home watching this scary movie. And they're killing this girl, asking her about scary movies. And like, honestly, man, this I, I had this thought watching it this time. It's like, how have there not been more scream copycat killers? Like, like it's a mask. It, literally, it, you can get this mask at any five and dime, mm-hmm. right? Like. That's a line from the film. It's, it's true. Like- that's that's where they got it. They they just yeah. found it, <laughs> like a, a like a gas station or something. They're like, is this like? Do we do this? It's like, sure, that works. <laughs> it's literally the cheapest thing they could have I mean, got. Strangely enough, it almost feels like Wes Craven is challenging copycat killers. Like, <laughs> like, like I'm not saying he is, but right. you could you could see how, like, if if you're looking at this through a metal lens. There's, I mean, there there should be more copycat killers. You think? Wearing the scream. Because I mean, that's what the the sequels are all about. The the sequels are all about like people trying to imitate this first film, like the you know the events in their world, the events of this first film. I mean, a Sidney Prescott is literally in all of them because people are constantly trying to like come at her and copy what Billy. Oh, spoiler! Billy and Stu. Yeah. Are doing. So how how is this not translated to real life? That's so interesting. I don't you're right. Like cause other films and stuff have done all kinds of weird things. I don't know, man. It's a good question. There it seems like there are more copycats of actual serial killers than there are of like fictional serial killers. You know what I mean? Like people copycat actual murderers instead as opposed to fictional murderers. All you gotta do, I mean, like they don't have to do anything other than wear the mask. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's true. That's all you have to do to take up the mantle of screen is put that mask. And so I'm not, I'm not advocating it. Of course not. Of course not. Interesting. That that no happens. one at home, do this. <laughs> but, yeah. Please. But, I mean, like, think about it. How have there not been two film nerds like me and you? Like, like, how have there been not two film nerds who go like? The reason I bring it up is like uh, Ricky and I both did um, a play together uh, a, a long time ago 
uh, and uh, I, I saw so many. Um, it's called Columbinus. It's about mm-hmm. the Columbine shootings, um, and uh, and I played in the film or in the in the play. I played one of the killers, and so I couldn't help but draw parallels between uh, these two guys uh, in this movie and the guys that did the Columbine shootings. Mm-hmm. And their character, like, archetypes are the exact same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you have the one character who is kind of the straight man who kind of, like, keeps everything structured and together mm-hmm. and keeps is the planner. Mm-hmm. And then you have Chaos Guy who is like a psychopath that needs the other dude to tell him what to do or he would just kill everybody. You know, and that's so that's interesting. That interpretation is interesting to me because I, I almost think that Billy's more the psychopath and Stu is the impressionable one, less psychopathic. I, I think he, he's, he's all emotion. Stu's all emotion. Yeah. He's, he's less calculated. That's he's fair. Just impulse. Yeah. You know? And then you, so that's more to me, more psycho. The other guy's a sociopath. Mm. So like, the other guy's all calculated. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the one that's doing the plan. Yeah, you know, he's the one. That's an interesting parallel to draw. I, you're, you make a good point. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, it's interesting why, like, you know, more people haven't taken inspiration from this for sure. But I, mean, I, I, yeah, I, obviously, I don't want that to happen. I right, just, of course. Just like thinking, like there's so many shootings in america i'm so like i would want to know i bet it has i i, I bet maybe i bet somebody has done that screen mask and i don't know but um it, i mean when when did columbine columbine happened in 2001 right mm-hmm. i wonder if these guys watched that this movie wonder they, what those I mean, guys like were in they would have been they would have been let's see they were in high school and they would have been like i don't know like 10 9 when this movie came out I wonder, I wish I could ask them if this movie influenced them. I mean, this movie was everywhere, so I'm sure they yeah. they knew about it. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it's fine. I, I, to, to bring it back from the tangent, I mean, that first, you're right. That For me, that first scene is a great indicator of where we we can start to see the th- the early seed of this of the theme coming through with like, you're right, within the first two minutes of the movie, it's what's your favorite scary movie? You know what I mean? And so like, and th- throughout the whole rest of the movie, it's everything is being related back to horror films. Every, everything they, they talk about like MPAA ratings for, on their lives. They talk about who's, which characters are going to play them in movies. And um, yeah. uh, uh, at one point, Sydney's like, uh, like this is, this is how I'm, struggling with my life right now and billy's like oh i get it it's like this character in this movie's struggle you know they would literally relate everything back to to films everything and it starts with that very first scene of what's your favorite scary movie so like i think for for writers and and film analysis analysts out there like yeah you look at that first scene to tell you a little bit of like okay what what am i looking for what what should i keep an eye out for to keep coming back throughout the rest of this movie. Setting the bar or the tone. It's 
the kazoo at the beginning of the song, kazoo like, this is the key we're playing in. This is the, you know, like, this is, this is setting the tone for what we should be looking for. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That, I agree. That first scene is where I looked initially to see kind of like, to key me in on what I should keep an eye out for throughout the rest of the movie. Um, one of the areas that I, I really was paying attention to was um, some of the characters, particularly um, Randy. Randy was a character, I think, who, who played, Randy. Play, played a mouthpiece a little bit for the writer, right? Um, uh, in uh, Blake Snyder's Save the Cat, uh, he talks about how in monster movies like this, um, there's a character known as the half man. So it's somebody who's not fully a man, that someone like Randy, who's a man child, uh, who understands the rules of the game and tells all the other characters what those rules are. Uh, and usually that character ends up dying. Um, so Randy is well, by f- definitely the half man, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and even the name Randy, the name Randy evokes, like, I wrote down, I wrote down at the beginning of the movie during the, the first scene, mm-hmm. he says, I'm not Randy. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't know, like, sorry, I'm going to try to get, I'm going to try to get there with this. It's kind of a weird thought, but like Randy is a big pun. Yeah. Like there's a lot of word ooh, things. Yeah. Like, like Randy Randy, the name Randy invokes horny guy. Right. You know? And uh, so in most, in most slasher films, like the horny guy is like a, is, is, (sighs) okay. Sex is usually a driving force behind Mm -hmm. a lot of them. As, as they say in this, in this film. Yes. Yes. So it's interesting that the, the killers at the beginning of the movie are like, I'm not Randy. Mm-hmm. Like, so sex really is, they're saying up front, that sex is not the driving factor mm-hmm. for, their, for their murders. Right. Even though it, 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 Bill, specifically Billy's character seems super driven by the sex, right? Like his whole, his whole thing is like, you, we're not having sex. <laughs> so, <laughs> even though, and eventually you find out that that's not his motivator, even though you think there's something has something to do with it. You learn later it has nothing to do with it. Yes, yes, which is crazy. Um, it's like his faith. His it's a false motivation. Mm-hmm. Like that's the motivation he wants. He wants the audience to mm-hmm. think it is. Yeah, you know? but that's not that's not the actual motivation. Right, uh, and I think Randy's a really great character, and it, they use him really well. I hadn't watched this film in, a, in maybe a couple of years, but I've seen it a bunch. And I didn't realize Randy, the character, by, played by Jamie Kennedy, is actually not in it that much. He's he's in it at like right at the beginning of like the second act, or like right before the beginning of the second act. So like when they're at that fountain at school, yeah, yeah. And then he's he comes back like right in the middle at the video store, and then he's at the party, but like he's not in it in the movie very much as much as I thought he was because he's such an iconic part of the movie. And it is, and and like, to the first time viewer, it's intended for him to be a suspect. Even mm-hmm. he says, even he says, everyone's a suspect. Yep. 
Uh, that's such a great scene because not only that, he's like, he's like, he's like, the police would watch horror movies, they would know the rules, and that there's a very simple formula, and he like lays it out right, and it's so great. And and Randy, so for me, like the the summation of what we're talking about, um, with life being like a movie, life is a movie, mm-hmm. like kind of it gets like the coolest scene in the whole film to me is with Randy when he's on the couch watching Jamie Lee Curtis and he's saying to Jamie, behind you, Jamie, behind you, Jamie. And there's like this like level of like... Because his name... Because his name's Jamie. Jamie. (laughs) So like, but like to me, like that is... There's this this transcendent art in that. And like, I don't know, it's so hard to describe... Uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the movie that it's so clever and so well done. So clever, and it's getting at something huge. It's like the answer is right behind you, mm-hmm. like, and you're even able to see it in something else. Like, like, it's like, I don't know. Like, it, like, there's some universal truth in that moment that's being expressed. That's like existential. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and life is like a movie. It's just not, life is like a movie. It's just, it's not the movie you think it is. You mm-hmm. don't get to pick your genre. Exactly. I was just going to quote that. You don't get to, you can't pick your genre. Yeah. Yeah. So. It, that's a very good point. And I, and yeah, uh, I think for me, that's a very good point. Uh, I love that you're right. That it is existential where Randy is, could see you're right. Like the answer to what's about to happen to him and what could save him. He's literally seeing and commenting on it in front of him, but can't see it in his real life. Yeah. He's unable to, to acknowledge it in himself. Right. It's Which like is, we all have a blind spot to our own truth. Interesting. For me, I interpreted it that Randy is the person that's telling everybody what the rules are. Like he has that whole scene where it's like, you don't know the rules. Like the rules are, can't have sex. The rules are you can't drink or smoke. The rules are you never say I'll be right back. Like he lays out all these rules. And what's really interesting is the film breaks every one of those rules. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like all it's like an, it's an anti horror it, film. Like it's, right. it, is, it is anti an anti slasher film. It is mm-hmm. anti- Exactly. And so like for me that's like uh cuz I think rules rules and and uh um, breaking rules is a like a sub motif throughout this whole movie about the killer is setting rules for this game, right? Um, in the very first scene with Drew Barrymore, uh, she, they get she gets a, a knock at the door or the doorbell rings and she says, "Who's there?" And then the killer calls and said, "You never say who's there. <laughs> you never say that." <laughs> and what do you? Next thing you know, you're gonna go out and investigate a strange noise or something. <laughs> Like, like you don't do that. <laughs> They're setting rules. They're imposing rules. And like people are breaking the rules throughout uh, yeah. all the time. So like there's a sub theme of like structure that is being imposed that all these characters are constantly breaking the rules, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... <sighs> Sorry. I, I, I just had a thought um, and I got distracted. I'm sorry. No, it, 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 so I, you know, I've never really related these two pieces of work, but 
it, I, I, there has to be some parallel. You you know the famous painting Edward Munch's The Scream. Oh no, yeah. So yeah, 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 exactly. So like, I just started thinking about that piece of art in relation to mm -hmm. um, this movie, and that 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 piece of art itself, it's like the scream is silent, mm -hmm. you know, which mm -hmm. is kind of like this inverse. It's kind of like what we're talking about, like. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I, I got I got distracted. No, it, it that that, yeah. that painting broke a lot of rules, mm -hmm. and so like it makes sense that this movie does. Well, I think originally they said that mask is the design of the mask from the toy company was based a little bit on that face from this from that from that painting. If I'm not mistaken, I never realized because it has that same kind of like open, yeah. contorted, kind of like funhouse mirror face kind of thing to it. I, wow. Okay. So there's actually, I've never thought about putting these two together. So like that actually adds a whole lot of, uh, depth in terms of like, okay. So it, it's talking about the scream inside of all of us for the, the for more. I think that's actually, it, it's, it's, uh, the exact meaning we're, we're getting at is mm -hmm. like, is like, we all have this internal scream to make our lives more than they are yeah but we don't know how to but it's silent nobody hears it mm -hmm. you know it's very interesting like, yeah sorry i i i know that's 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 an angle i haven't thought of i because i knew a little bit about like the mask toy company kind of designed it to base look a little bit like that so i kind of already knew and then it's called scream so i know it's like that's, that's, that's the real horror the real horror is that our lives are not exciting, <laughs> but like, like our lives are boring and we want them to be, we're all, we're all just internally screaming for mm -hmm. our lives to be more than they are. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a really good point. I mean, uh, a really good point. Um, and, and I mean, there are tons of moments throughout the story where we kind of see uh, a lot of that kind of idea coming out with like, um, like when Billy comes in through the window uh, at, at Cindy's room, that first one where he's like, I was watching the exorcist and like a bunch of this stuff was cut out. And it reminded me that our, our relationship was an R rating, but now it's like edited for TV. And he's like, now nah, I want to, you know, to go back to yeah. what, you know, I want our, our relationship to go back to being R rated, if not NC 17. Um, and uh, well, I think that's like, I think Billy is the, I mean, clearly he is the extreme of what we're talking about, right? Like, right. Of like having to live your life like a film. Mm -hmm. But like we see also with, uh, what's the main character's name? I'm sorry. S Sydney. Sydney. Uh, we see Sydney like choosing, choosing times for her to li her life to be like a movie and times when it's not, you know, mm -hmm. like, like choosing to have sex with Billy, she like makes the choice to have a heightened moment. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, she's also like one of the most grounded, realistic characters. Well, right. I th well, throughout the movie, and, and kind of this goes along with her arc a little bit. Um, she's constantly being the one like, like for example, like when they when they go to the grocery store and Tatum, Rose McGowan's character, um, is like, 
hey, like if they made a movie, like they can make a movie of, of this situation. And like, who, who do you think would play you? And, and Dewey, uh, David Arquette's character is like, oh, I think you look, you would be a young Meg Ryan. And she's like, well, like with my luck, I would be Tori Spelling. Yeah, Tori Spelling would play me. And so she's like, it's constantly like bringing down that conversation of like, oh, your life is a movie. She's like, no, no, it's really, really, it's yeah. not. <laughs> and she's, you're right. She's constantly the one trying to detract from that conversation. Um, and then up until that moment, which is if for screen uh, writers and structure nerds, uh, the moment where her and Billy have sex is the all is lost moment. Cause that's the moment where she loses her innocence. She breaks the rule, right? Yeah. The fine, she breaks the final girl rule. So yeah. that's like her all is lost moment. And in that moment, she's even like contemplating. She's like, I'm afraid and I don't know what to do. And Billy, and, and she's like, my, like, it's kind of like this, well, you're experiencing something like this. And she says, well, my life isn't a movie. Life is not a movie. Yeah. And so she's, she's again, pulling it down, pulling it down. And then Billy looks at her and he says, no, it's, it's all a movie. It's all a big movie. And playing those two sides of trying that push and pull of, is it a movie? Is it not a movie? And then she finally relents. Okay. It's a porn. Do you think she knows that he's the killer when she has sex with him? Hmm. I don't, I still think she's surprised. Okay. Cause I don't think she, based on everything that Sydney represents and everything everything she does throughout the movie i don't think she would i don't think she would do it although i do think she's her fear is even though she chooses like you said she forces herself into a heightened moment right she's like i'm gonna do this even though i i don't want to really yeah and she immediately has regret afterwards and there's that little voice in the back of her head that says did you just make a mistake you know, did you just, did you fuck up right now? And so she asks, who'd you call when you were in jail? Because that, even though she forced herself in this moment, maybe she, for a second, she felt happy or she felt, you know, some kind of satisfaction. There's that little bit of fear that she's not over yet in the back of her head. That's like, you might've just made a mistake, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, Do you I think know. she knows? I don't know. There's a part of me. There's a part of me that feels like she had at least she. She's not. There's a part of her that thinks he is the killer. Like, yeah, or is like, suspicious. Well, I mean, suspicious is not a strong enough word. I don't mm. think. Like, you think she? Do you think she's certain? I think there's a part of her that knows he is. Ooh. Like, uh, and I think that's kind of back to. Um, the nature of wanting our life to be heightened. Like, I think, I think Sydney, I do think there's like this, the, the thrill of him being the killer is a part of why she has sex with him. Fair. Like, that could I, be interesting. I, I, like, I mean, I don't know. I, it might be a, a weird take, but like her mom was a slut you know like yeah. mom was like all around town cheating on like so like maybe that's sydney like maybe there's a little like sydney has that side of her and like she doesn't know he's not the killer right she actually kind of thinks he is and she still does it yeah so, and it's not until like she does it i think it's like a i think it's like 
in this film, and I, th- I think this is accurate, the sex is, is meant to be empowering. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not, she doesn't decide he is the killer until she has had sex with him. Mm-hmm. So like, instead of it being, it, like I said, it's the inverse this time. So it's, mm-hmm. them having sex is actually what allows her to have the upper hand. Mm-hmm. In this version. Interesting. Normally, it takes her power away. It takes her power away. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, and, yeah, I've never looked at it in that way. Um, I I don't know. I don't know because she she still is tricked by him a little bit later when he like comes stumbling down the stairs, having been like fake stabbed, and gives him the gun. You know what I mean? Like she she is like fooled by him a little bit later. So I I have a little bit of trouble fully buying in that, but I like where your head's at as far as like the inverse dynamic of of power in that I situation. Think, I mean, I think that in that moment she knows he's the killer. She's fooled. By him being killed, mm-hmm. her, you know, like mm-hmm. I think she comes to, she like in that moment knows he's the killer, and then oh, just like us, we're surprised. She's mm-hmm. she is fooled just like we are, mm-hmm. um, and so I don't know. Yeah, but I'm glad you brought up the mom, the mom character, because her mom is a looming presence throughout this whole film, and I think is where you can find a lot of. Sydney's personal character arc comes from um, is this idea of rules and labels, right? Of people define other people defining and putting things in a box. Um, so Sydney's mom was promiscuous, well known promiscuous throughout town, but Sydney's in denial about this. She's heard these rumors, but because she admits later that she that she's she knows, right? But throughout most of the movie she's she denies that fact she's like no my mom would never do that my mom is not that person no 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 but then at the towards the back end of the movie she's like i know i've heard i'm i've always been afraid of becoming that because of the way everybody looked at and labeled my mom i am afraid to to express myself sexually or you know at all I'm i'm afraid because i don't want to become yeah my mother um, and that moment where she does have sex, I think she, there's a little bit of that like regret, but then toward, at the end of the movie, the very last line that Sydney has is the, uh, not in my movie, right? Like I'm taking control of my label. I'm taking control of my narrative. I'm not going to let other people put their narrative on me, which I think is such a, a powerful character arc of like, I'm afraid to be labeled as a character in someone else's narrative to I'm taking control of my narrative. Yes. Which I think is really, really cool. Not in my movie. I love that line. It's such a great line. Um, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, I have just one more point I want to talk about. Do you have any other like things that you want to touch on specifically? Uh, I have like, I wrote a bunch of notes, mm-hmm. but like, I, I don't know. We hit a lot of it. Um, yeah, we kind of like, I have a lot of notes too, and we kind of like scattered like through them, which is, I think, okay. Yeah. Uh, but if there's anything we haven't hit yet that you really wanted to like point out, I think we can do that because I have one more as well. Uh, I thought just like some like basic stuff, like the acting in this movie is really solid. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's, I believe everybody pretty much. 
Um, yeah. There was like only like a couple things in the film that I didn't agree with, like uh, just stupid things. Like I, this girl would not take the bus home. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like look at their house. Yeah, their house is so yeah, nice. You know, like, this girl is not taking the bus home. Like she, she's way too attractive. See, all these kids are super wealthy. Like yeah. Drew Barrymore, they got a pool. <laughs> and it looks like they're on like a vineyard. Sydney's got like this a huge deck and stuff. And and then Stu's family's got like this multi-tiered house and it's got they got a boat and it's insane. All these kids are rich. Yeah. Yeah. Uh tying back into the I'm not Randy uh like school shooter thing. Like mm-hmm. uh, I wrote down incels. Like this I think like this is like the beginning of incels. Mm-hmm. You know, involuntary celibate, like guys that are like billy's billy's a good guy but he can't but his girlfriend won't you know yeah yeah. uh i think the the principal being made out to be the killer is really interesting in this like like it's such a weird it's it's very strange that it's and it's also fonzie yeah you know like which is it's like this is the first time we've seen henry winkler like since fonzie that i know of and so (laughs) like it's 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 strange that they like it could be it could be him that's what's i think i i agree there's some weird stuff with like the principal that i don't think is fully necessary but i think they do that because at the midpoint they kill him yeah and it raises the stakes right like the person that you like this guy's being creepy like the way he touches sydney's face at one point is kind of like pervy yeah and you're like they they definitely like locked him up to be one of the yeah primary suspects and then they want you to know that it's not going to be. You're him. wrong. Yeah, you're wrong. But it is who you think it is. It's exactly who you think it is, but it's not who you think it is. Exactly, yeah. Like, this movie's really good at, like, playing with your expectations, yeah. giving you what you want, but also subverting it in small ways. It's really uh, it's really creative. Uh, I wrote down the rules. I, I, think one of, I, I think one of the most interesting characters in the movie is Dewey. Really? Yeah, I think he's, like, honestly the realest character in the film <laughs> yeah like he's almost too real like like i know that guy you know like it's it's strange because it, it, it like i gets made he gets made fun of in like scary movie you know like mm-hmm. uh yeah and and it, but it's like that character i totally believe that that guy is a real cop who is like hanging out with high school kids and is awkward and like like I don't know I I it, he struck me as like a very real character like this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the car lock scene is awesome. Yeah, that's horrifying. That is horrifying. Oh, because you're stuck. There's you can't get out of that. Uh, uh, there was a line: "Watch a few movies, take a few notes." As I'm taking notes, I was like. This is weird. Um, <laughs> and then something, there's like a theme of like the psychopath being a child. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something very childish about the psychopaths. Like it's, I guess it's tying into like you have to live in reality. You have to be, you have to accept that life is not what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I, and that it's a very childish thing to keep playing pretend. I I mean, there's definitely something there. Cause I mean, Billy's whole motivation, like we find out, I mean, that's kind of like 
part of his like psychopathy is that Sydney's mom cheated. Uh, well, his dad cheated on Billy's dad cheated on his mom with Cindy's mom, Sydney's mom. And that's why Billy's mom left them when he was young. So like that broke his like childhood psyche. Right. And it built up to this point where he ends up murdering her several years later. Yeah. You know, it, it... <laughs> Stu, like that moment where he's like, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, there's a, like, they're just kids. Mm-hmm. Kids that, don't know how to deal with reality, so they're just they they've snapped, mm-hmm. or they've just they're playing pretend with knives. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stu, what what's your motive? Peer pressure. <laughs> I'm just really susceptible to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like he like, like the sense like it's true, and I, mm-hmm. I I buy it. You know. Yeah. He's aware of it, and he can't help it. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and then I wrote down "whisper to a scream," which I think is a line. Ooh, I don't remember. I mean, they say the word they say the word "scream" quite a few times in this in this film, so I cannot remember specifically. And I guess the only other thing that uh, we've kind of brushed over and haven't talked about is like Gordon Cox's character. I was actually just going to bring that up. That's yeah. what that was one of my final points is the way the media is is portrayed in this film. Yeah. Not very kindly. Wow. <laughs> it. And I think it goes along with this idea of like what you're saying of like forcing a narrative on stuff. That's literally what the news does. They take the facts and they craft it in a way that they can tell a a story and convey it to people. Yeah. And also Courtney Cox is almost like an influencer type, you know, Mm -hmm. like she is always looking for her big shot. And even after like, she's gone through this insane murder situation instead of like dealing with her trauma. She's like, I got to get a good shot. I got to get a good shot. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's interesting. Cause it's, it's very much like she's still pursuing the narrative. There's, I think you're, you're hitting on something that this film is still re- relevant to, to our current society. And that's why it's so interesting to me that this film franchise is still going because it's lost so much of its like creativity and its zest. I was like, but but this idea of like the way that these kids look at their lives is so relevant to the TikTok and you know it, you know Instagram trying to you know trying to get yourself famous on these platforms of like turning crafting your life into a narrative. Yeah, your life has to be a story. Consu- consumable. Your your life has to be a story that you're the protagonist of, and you have to have some great change and have accomplished a great thing and have you know yeah really there that's not there that's non-existence exactly so it's like yeah yeah like i said it's like this movie's got a lot of existential layers going on yeah uh i agree and just to add one more layer before we finish up our our analysis here uh you probably know this but you might not um, the original title of Scream was Scary Movie. Oh, wow. The, the, that's the original written title of this script is Scary Movie. That's cool. I did not know that. So, like, to add to that layer of, of meta, this movie was just going to be a Scary Movie. Wow. To, to, to kind of, like, really, like, nail it home for everybody. It's like, yeah, this movie's about making 
our lives a narrative. Yeah. These characters are obsessed with turning their lives into a scary movie. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, and if you think about it, it is the original scary movie. Yeah. Like, like in terms of like what scary movie turn like was, was a satire mm-hmm. of scary, scary movies. Mm-hmm. Scream was the first iteration of scary movie. Exactly. The scary movie took their name scary movie because that was the original name of Scream, which they, yeah. they then they satired a satire, which is scary interesting. Movie, I mean, it's smart because like scary movies title is too smart. If it is actually Scream. Yeah. <laughs> It's too smart. I agree. I agree. You need scream. Yeah. Before you can. It needs just that little bit of a little bit of one step of separation from being super on the money. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really cool. I I, I thought you might know that already, but yeah, super interesting. Uh, So to kind of wrap it all up, Seth, uh, final thoughts on 1996's scream. Uh, It is a, terms of theme mm-hmm. it is the hidden gem amongst scary films in terms of meaning and depth you can draw a lot from it. i i totally agree that's that would be kind of my feelings on it, it is it it's so with all like the flash and like the, the meta humor and and just the enjoyableness of the movie in general i think it's very easy to miss the like you said the existential revelation of it of that we all do this this is something we all yearn for is for our lives to be exciting yeah and and narratively structured and it's so not um and watching a character literally take control of her narrative i think was was super super cathartic in a lot of ways for somebody especially for somebody like us who are actors and and screenwriters who are either trying to tell stories or trying to embody stories like and and have that hollywood story right the hollywood story of the the kid who made it from your small town it's like that's a narrative we're trying to create for ourselves yeah i mean we, we you and i are are some of the guiltiest of it yeah it, it hits hard <laughs> it really does and, and it, it's it takes it takes your life not going any of the way you thought it would for you to step back back from that and like, mm-hmm. like I, I'm there, man. I am like, that's where I've been at since the pandemic started. And, you know, it's like, okay, if my life isn't this film where I'm the protagonist, what do I do with it? You know? mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Know. I'll just um, keep making this face. <laughs> i love it uh seth thank you so much uh that was our conversation on scream uh if you have not seen it go and check it out it is definitely a worthwhile film for anybody who loves horror or slasher and it's pretty damn funny too we didn't even touch on a lot of the more comedic elements of the film because uh, it's pretty funny especially in a lot of its meta humor um and and for any film nerds out there it's really well written um, and well acted and performed and well directed. We didn't get a touch on a lot of the directing of it. Like there's lots of like Dutch angles. Oh, most of the film is filmed handheld to add that that voyeuristic yeah. feel to it. So like there's a it's really well made movie. So go check it out if you have never seen it. It's definitely worth it. Uh, and hopefully this new one 
uh, lives up to the legacy of the original. I might have to binge. I, have to, I might have to binge all the screams this week. <laughs> Be careful. You, you might disappoint yourself. <laughs> they're not as good as the first one, but there's there's something in each of them that I think is, is worthwhile. Um, Seth, let's talk about the next film that we're going to be doing. Yeah, uh, what is the next film? So, I'll give you a hint to see if you can guess. This next film is going to be really cool. Really cool. Really cool. I have no idea. I have no what's a cool. So cool. It might. Well, some might say it's 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 on ice. Frozen? No, don't be stupid. <laughs> it's Ice Age. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that other I not as good as <laughs> uh, the newest Ice Age spinoff is coming out on January twenty eighth. So we're gonna go all the way back to two thousand and two to uh, the beginning of the Ice Age franchise, which I looked up is like a six billion dollar franchise. Yeah, I never got, I never understood why people like that film so much. So I'll be interested to rewatch it. So we got to show some respect. We got to put some respect on that name of Ice Age. And we're going to, we're going to break it down and see if we can see what's at the heart of that movie and why it spawned a $6 billion franchise. That's crazy. All right, Seth, thank you so much for being with me today. And thank you all for listening. Uh, We'll see you next time on What's It About? See you later.